This is The Guardian. Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The WSL is back with a bang and the battle for the Golden Boot is hotting up. Anything you can do, I can do better. Lauren James and Bunny Shaw score hat-tricks as Chelsea and Manchester City win. Elsewhere, Arsenal keep pace with the top two. There are wins for Villa and Brighton, while Tottenham and West Ham play out a seven-goal thriller. We'll round up the Championship and the latest transfers, look ahead to this week's Champions League fixtures, plus we'll take your questions. And that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and official mobile phone of Arsenal Football Club, Liverpool Football Club and the England teams. Google Pixel is helping fans get closer to the game they love with access to fresh content and never-before-seen footage of their favourite players and teams. The new Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro are fast and secure with the most advanced Pixel cameras yet. And Google AI powers amazing features for photos and video so you can get even closer to the game. Search Google Store to find out more. What a panel we have today. Susie Rack, had your glad rags on when I saw you on Sunday at the Emma Hayes tribute night? Yeah, we have to dress up, don't we? I hate dressing up. I'd much rather have been in my trainers and baseball cap. That would have kept me happy. It was fun, though, wasn't it? And your necklace was wonderful. I thought you looked fab. And uh, the opening line from Emma Hayes, which we'll discuss a little bit later in the pod, was just absolute classic for a, <laughs> for a first line tribute night opener. Uh, Robin Cowan, welcome back. It's been way too long. How are you? Way too long. Lovely to be back. All good. Thank you, Faye. Excellent. Too long since we've seen Moyo Abiona as well, but kind of glad you didn't pull out of appearing considering you've got to talk about the result at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> yeah, I said I'll take one for the team, to be honest, and I'll show up since my team decided not to. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah, wow. She has gone in with the gloves on the first round. Ding, ding, then. We've got a star in West London where Lauren James scored her second hat-trick of the season as Chelsea dispatched of Manchester United in a 3-1 win at Stamford Bridge. In fact, Lauren James has scored more goals at Stamford Bridge than any other male or female Chelsea player this season. At first goal came after just five minutes. She doubled the lead with a superb first-time finish from Natalie Bjorn's delivery before the visitors were handed a lifeline. Hayley Ladd pulling one back just before the break. It looked like that was going to give United the impetus going into the second half but they failed to capitalise on it and James bagged her third five minutes from time to seal the win. Uh, You were on commentary duty for this one, Robin. Uh, Talk through it. It was quite fun. It was actually because we were slightly concerned when you're commentating on a a game that's really one-sided. It's really hard to kind of keep up the the excitement and that's what it threatened to be, 2-0 up and Manchester United, (laughs) Rachel Brown finished at half-time. She was the pundit and she said it looked like Manchester United had basically got off the bus and they'd, they'd blown the whistle for the start of the game. There's no warm up straight on. And they, they were they were really poor to start with. And we were just thanking God that Hayley Ladd scored that goal to give it some jeopardy. And actually, they had quite a lot of chances to make it to all. There was one for Ella Toon. She just didn't get the shot off 
quick enough. And Ashley Lawrence had a really good um, intervention there. Um, and Hayley Ladd had another chance, which I know Mark Skinner was quite critical of after saying she's got to score that, she's got to score that. Leah Goldson had a penalty shout. I think I agree with my co-commentator, Farrah Williams, who felt it wasn't in the moment. I thought, oh, goodness me. And then actually on the replays, it wasn't. And then, yeah, Lauren James. It, it was a kind of typical Chelsea performance because they kind of dangle things, don't they, in front of us. They go, oh, maybe we won't win this. And then they, they go and win it. And just, yeah, my, my just one final point. If you had to put your life savings, everything you owned, on one player to score a one-on-one, it's Lauren James, isn't it? There's just never, never in doubt. She's just ice cold, execution. It's unbelievable, her consistency in front of goal from those sort of situations. I thought her finishing at the weekend was just brilliant. And she's just a delight to watch because she just doesn't look like she's trying. I've just, It's just yeah, wonderful. Gliding. And Emma Hayes was was delighted after the game, Susie. She called it their best performance of the season. But from a Manchester United perspective, as um, Robin said just there, they had opportunities themselves. They're going to be kicking themselves. They didn't capitalise in that second half. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I mean, Chelsea were just too good, right? Like they were just throughout the whole of the first half, maybe bar the last sort of five, ten minutes or so, they were utterly dominant. And I sort of feel like the change in the, it's like the 55th minute, 54th minute, something like that, to take off uh, me official and shift Lauren James further forward, almost like allowed United into the game a little bit because it moved James out of that dominating central position where she was just owning absolutely everything and pulling the strings and running the show. And they were sort of like, we can afford to give up this space for a little bit of a change. It wasn't even like a, I don't even think it was like an accident. Like they deliberately shifted James forward and they knew that that would give Man United space there, but they weren't that worried about it. And it moved James into a position more into a number nine that was similarly potent, but almost in a different way that allowed her to sort of spend much of the second half having a break <laughs> um, because you're not working as hard in the middle but yet still have that threat of her so I sort of feel like yes Man United came back into it a little bit but it was sort of almost gifted to them by Chelsea and it felt like a, a deliberate thing a tactical thing they felt like they could do that and it was almost like a, a strategic play to get the best out of Lauren James over a 90 minute period for me but like I look at Lauren James and every time she gets anywhere near the ball, I'm like fuzzing with like childish excitement because you just don't know what's going to happen. And I was thinking, when is the last time I felt like that? Like I, I've not really felt it as a journalist because you sort of switch off from that a little bit. I was thinking it's only really when I was like a kid watching Thierry Henry that I had that like absolute glee when someone gets anywhere near a ball. And that is just so wonderful to have that feeling, like to be that excited about a player. And I was watching it thinking every team, every player in the world is going to be so jealous of anyone that has Lauren James on their side internationally or club wise. And it's just like happy, right? Like just happiness. I was really conscious on air of not mentioning how wonderful her hair looked out like that as well. Like it was just flowing, wasn't it? She just, oh, she just looked absolutely fantastic and then played like a demon. It was brilliant. Let's switch back to Manchester United though, because Mark Skinner said post-game Moyo, the fans are absolutely entitled to do what they want. We'll never silence them. They pay their money. 
He was reacting to the fact that a fan held aloft a Skinner Out sign in the away end. There were chants of we want Skinner Out from a small pocket of the supporters before the final whistle as well. Where do you sit on this? It's tricky because I just don't know if he is the person to rally the troops, really. And I don't know if the fans believe he's the person to rally the troops either. I don't think it's the losing games that's the problem because we lost games under Casey Stoney and there was never a chance of this. I think it's more so a case of fans buying into what the manager's saying. And I, I don't know if what he says instills belief in fans. And I think it's a lot of the time is he's saying one thing and then we see the team that's put out and we're like, mm, not sure how this coincides with what you were saying on the weekend or in the press conference. And I feel like it's tricky to keep up when it's so volatile. Yeah, if, it, if it, I know exactly what you mean. This is what Navdeep has to say, Robin. Do Manchester United need a new manager? It feels like they're going backwards instead of forwards under Mark Skinner, which is what Moyo's kind of suggesting there. What do you think? It's a really tough one because, I mean... Cards on the table. I like Mark Skinner as a person. I think there's a lot of mitigating circumstances for him. How much of this is his fault in terms of players leaving? They had an incredible record-breaking season last season and it's so hard to keep up. So expectations were raised and I think it was going to be difficult to meet them. Having said that, they have underperformed. Um, I do believe that. And it's just difficult. And perhaps he's not quite the right person to take them that other level. But I think we've got to acknowledge that it's obviously the manager becomes the lightning rod, don't they, for um, for sort of fan frustration. But it's interesting what Moyo was saying that it's more, I guess, because I'm not a Manchester United fan. It's more you do kind of as a fan zero in on what exactly they're saying in press conferences. And I've been there as, a, as an Oxford United fan. If they say something you don't like, it really does jar and uh, if that's the case then that's not great either I would say. Before you jump in Susie, Sue also had another point she wanted to make on social media. I don't think there's enough being made of the effect assistant manager Martin Ho's departure has had on United this year. You're all nodding ferociously. Ferociously? Ferociously. Vociferously. (laughs) (laughs) What are those two words? I think that's definitely true. Um, he's, He's a big loss. He was hugely influential and he wasn't really replaced, was he? Was it internally? So, I mean, just that's just another kind of thing in the club that makes you think they're not really invested, I'd say. The problem I have is, like, comparing it to last season and, you know, them finishing second and getting Champions League and stuff is pinpointing what has changed and what has gone wrong is really difficult because there's so many things that could be a fact. So Martin Ho going, the fact that Arsenal and City both had difficult campaigns last season and sort of fell away from things almost like gifted it to united they 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 everything went right for them last season in so many different areas we don't know the impact of the you know previous like regime at man united and how the new one is going to change things there's been talk about players being particularly players that have left being frustrated with Skinner and unhappy under him. But like until any of them come out and say something on the record publicly, it's really hard to know the extent of that and the impact of it and how deeply that runs through the team as a whole or how bad it is, how much it's, you know, horrible culture at the club or just a manager they don't particularly like, which, you know, no manager is going to be completely liked by everyone. So it's really hard to like work out 
which part of any of those things is like the critical piece that is messing things up i think it's like a whole combination of things so then so you say that that is the manager's fault like if every other piece was working perfectly and skinner was being a bit of an arse in press conferences and you know there was clear like signs of of decay on the pitch and things like that then i'd then i'd say yeah you know he should go but I think there's so many other things that are wrong that it almost like you sort of, I sort of feel like he deserves a chance when things are going right. When Ineos coming in, like is changing the dynamic a bit, they might get a little bit more money. They might get a little bit more organization. And then we see how he does. And then we judge him on the basis of the team and the results and things like that. But then you say that and you say, you know, you think, well, they've lost uh, Chelsea five times in a row now uh, in the league. And, it's been really disappointing every single time. They've not really put up a decent challenge across 90 minutes. They've played the same midfield in the last, I think, three games. So they're not really making changes to sort of try and do something about that. And so that's a big worry too. So, I mean, who knows? But what I didn't like was some of the players telling the fan to get rid of the Skinner out sign afterwards. So Rachel Williams was going, put it down, put it down. That's not okay, right? They're allowed their opinion. They can voice it. It was one fan with one little, like, a three sign on their own holding it up it wasn't like a big banner or anything and they're perfectly entitled to do that don't tell them to hold it down mark skinner didn't he was like they can say whatever they want they can do whatever they want they're entitled to their opinion but rachel williams like she's on camera going put it down put it down like really angrily and you're just like no come on leave your fan alone like they they're allowed to voice their opinion however they want yeah i was gonna say i completely agree with Susie, because I do think there are other factors that we have to consider. I don't think it's purely Mark Skinner. And I think a lot of the players that left, they were very much integral in terms of how he played. Like, even if we look at specifically Onobatier, for example, a lot of what she's able to do in terms of recovery pace, in terms of, like, her knowing that the person's going to run in behind would have mitigated a lot of the things that happened on Sunday. Because I looked at how many times Chelsea were just getting in behind us. And a lot of that is taken away from the fact that Onovatier is very much good in her 1v1 duels. What I will say though is that sometimes it feels like there's a bit of a naivety when it comes to United, especially when they're playing teams like Chelsea. Because if we look at some of the goals that they've conceded, they're pretty much carbon copies every single game. I think someone made a thread on Twitter and it was like the exact same goal scored against United pretty much from like Arsenal and Chelsea just scoring the same goal against us. And I guess it's frustrating because Teams are clearly working on that, but I feel like we're not really working on that. Like we're not really working on stopping that or how to at least slow that down. I think the thing is, if they were to make a change of manager now, it's because they're scared they're not going to get in the Champions League positions. So the question is, who would you get? Who would you get that you think could do that? And I don't know who that person would be. And if they'd be up for it, because it does sound like there are still quite a lot of... I mean, the Ineos thing kind of muddies the waltz a bit, but it does sound like there's still... The job isn't perhaps as attractive, say, as the Chelsea one, for example. Mm, that's a very good point, which we've still not had an announcement over who's taking over. What we do know, whereas we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes at Manchester United, we do know they're 10 points behind Chelsea, while Emma Hayes side are three points ahead of Manchester City and Arsenal at the top of the table. And that's after Manchester City proved they're certainly sticking around in this title race. It was an emphatic 5-1 win over Liverpool at the Joy Stadium. Bunny Shaw said, Lauren James, hold my beer, and bagged her own hat-trick to take her top of the goal-scoring charts. 12 goals in 11 league games so far this season. 
and that's her third hat-trick in the space of four WSL matches as well, which is utterly ridiculous. Uh, Liverpool had actually taken the lead in this one. Taylor Hines catching Kiara Keating off her line with an audacious finish, but an own goal from Gemma Bonner just four minutes later turned the game into City's favour. Chloe Kelly wrapped up the scoring from the penalty spot in the 78th minute, and it just feels as if City, and sorry Moyo, this is going to hurt, but they're purring a little bit, aren't they? They're scoring goals for fun, they're playing some great football, and it tees us up for a really exciting title run-in. Yeah, they look fantastic, to be honest. And I think this is probably the most balanced that their squad has been since the year that they had that fantastic midfield of like Sam Mewis and Caroline Weir. I feel like in terms of profiles, this midfield is probably the most balanced they've had because it's very much a case of everyone has their own role while still being a versatile player that can fill in someone else's role. And I feel like it's working really well. Obviously, with the two wingers that they've got in Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp, they're very much hitting... I wouldn't say they're prime, but they're very much established figures within the team now. And they know what they need to do to get past fullbacks. And in that sense, the team can rely on them as outlets. And then with Bunny Shaw, she's just, I mean, you said it, three hat-tricks in four games is absolutely ridiculous. And she is exactly what a team would want when they say, like, I want a striker that's a killer. Like, she is that. She's very much someone that doesn't need that many chances. And you know, like, she's going to put the ball in the net. And it was the same with what we were saying with Lauren James. When she's going through one-on-one or when she's got her defender pinned, like you just know it's going to end up in a goal. And I'm jealous because I wish we had that. (laughs) Yeah, she's very good, isn't she? Uh, Matt Beard said before this one that he thought City have probably been the best team in the league this season and and they showed that, Robin. Yeah, and I think he's right, actually, as Mayo said. And I think they are now probably the most realistic challengers to Chelsea. I've got to say, I think in this game, it did look like Liverpool really shot themselves in the foot like repeatedly, you know, City probably would have found a way anyway, but they were gifted quite a few goals. You could see Matt Beard looking sort of fuming, the sort of steam coming out of his ears on the touchline. <laughs> also want to point out another, I mean, Sophie was saying last week about the iconic photo of Ella Toon with her mask. This time it was Lauren <laughs> Oh my goodness, in the, in the turf. Absolutely fantastic. That is another classic of the genre, isn't it? Feet in the air facing the turf and it good she could see the funny side of it because that that looked very painful but yeah whoever got that <laughs> superb superb shot brilliant um from a liverpool point of view fifth in the table another heavy defeat against one of the big sides like that 5-1 at the hands of chelsea in in november susie which kind of shows much as they've been brilliant this season i feel liverpool it's a real golf isn't it that they have to close if they want to be serious contenders again yeah, and it's the problem that every team that is sort of in that second rung of the table has, right? Like, it's really difficult because you need a squad and depth capable of challenging, but being able to build that and transition it into to be able to compete at that top is a long-term project. It's not a short-term fix. So it's going to take a lot of time before any team is sort of in that second run capable of challenging like in a really genuine serious way and also like that requires a lot of patience from ownerships with managers that said I like completely agree with Robin I thought the defending in this game was atrocious like so bad I don't blame Jenna Bonner for the own goal I think that is the least of their problems like she got there ahead of Bunny Shaw it was unfortunate that she turned it into her own net instead of putting it wider the goal 
if anything, it was more difficult to score than to put it wide. But like, I don't necessarily blame her for that. She got there ahead of the ahead of the forwards. But the, just the some of the defending for the other goals. And I mean, you know, the the way Hemp was challenged and fell for the penalty was hilarious. And the memes doing the rounds and the the painting comparison yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. And her on the diving board and like, they're all hilarious. But that should have been a red card for Mika. Like it should have been, it was really dangerous. Like she's nowhere near the ball and she literally flips her upside down and she lands on her head and her neck. And just, I thought that moment summed up Liverpool's defensive performance. Like it was catastrophic. So yeah, like Bunny Shaw is going to make you do that. (laughs) Um, And so are Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hemp. And I think there's probably a reason why, you know, the Arsenal's Chelsea's Man United aren't playing City at their main stadiums and they're still playing at their smaller stadiums because they don't want to give City the whiff of those big expansive pitches, right? Like, I think that's probably like deliberate. But at the same time, I mean, like as much as they almost make you do it, you've got to do better in so many of the situations that they were in today, today, yesterday. That's a really good point. Do you know what? This is why I love you, Susie Rack. You just look at things totally different. I hadn't thought about that. Of course that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I can't believe I've not even like considered that. Do you mean yesterday when it was actually two days ago as well? That doesn't make that, sense. That, was, that wasn't what I meant. <laughs> your, your point before that was the pertinent one. It doesn't get any easier for Liverpool. They host Arsenal on Sunday looking to kind of change that narrative of, of not quite doing it against all the big teams. I know Matt Beard's shouting at me if he's listening. Probably We have. We've beaten them. We've beaten them. But you know what I mean in terms of free flow. The only downside for City was the loss of defender Kirsten Kasparai who went off injured after just eight minutes following a collision with Missy Bocairn, so hopefully not too serious uh, for her. Uh, right, Arsenal had kicked the Saturday off to make sure that pressure was still on City and Chelsea after a 2-1 victory over Everton, which should have been uh, far more comfortable. Caitlin Ford giving the home side an early lead before catcher Snoy equalised midway through the first half, but Beth Mead's header late in stoppage time at the end of the first half ultimately proved to be the winner. Uh, Jonas Eideval Moyo had called for his side to be a bit more efficient coming in into the game but despite their 19 shots only six of those hit the target it still feels like this new look front line is maybe finding its feet which seems very strange to say when you read the names out (laughs) yeah I mean it's crazy because I was talking about this front four the other day and I was like the team itself like all of the four that are playing in the number 10 and the wings and the nine have all played the number nine at some point in the last I don't know seven months I don't know if on paper it's as balanced as what everyone thinks it is. And I think it's more so a case of who's playing the 10 and who's playing the number nine. I think profile-wise, Miedemar and Russo are quite similar in terms of wanting to drop deep and pick up the ball and get involved in play. And I think you're missing that number nine that's just going to run the channel. So like Astina Black Seniors, for example. I think Jonas is thinking in his head, though, that like he wants to get his best players on the pitch and he probably sees the four that are playing as those best attackers. But I just don't know if, like, profile-wise, it works. Like, it may end up working because they can all score. But, yeah, I guess it's just what you're willing to give up in order to get those four on the pitch. Mm. What did you make of of Everton in this one, Susie? Did they challenge Arsenal enough? No. Uh, I mean, I think they were sort of more lucky in, in Arsenal's disjointedness and lack of clinical play when you look at, you know, like, what is it, 61% possession or something like that? It's close to that just like utter dominance and I would say 
I mean, obviously do well to keep 19 shots like away um, and to not concede more. But yeah, I, I, I'm worried for Everton. I think the loss of Natalie Bjorn is a big, big one in addition to their sort of defensive losses uh, over the summer as well. Six points from the relegation place they are. Exactly. But the, I mean, the scoreline does them more favours than it maybe should. Like I... I almost think like they need more alarm bells going off in January as the window ticks shut than maybe that scoreline suggests. Like for Arsenal, like I completely agree with Moyo on how you fit those puzzle pieces together and get the best of them. But I think, you know, obviously that was Miedema's first start. Beth Mead is not actually that long back in reality. So those relationships are all still quite new and they're still finding their feet and stuff. So I think there's time for that four to work, how long you give it before you start going, well, actually, maybe we stick Russo in the 10 and Miedema up top. Um, I do wonder whether that's why he's playing those two together is that they're interchangeable, right? And you can like, that makes them really unpredictable. But like, whether you go for a Cena Blackstenius who's a more out and out number nine with an either a Russo or a Mead sat behind them, like you've got a bit of time to play with before you sort of go to panic stations on this not working and get to that point. But I think that all of those issues with Arsenal are what sort of made Everton walk away from that result with a better looking margin than perhaps it would have otherwise been. Yeah, they're heading up to Liverpool next, as I mentioned earlier on in the league, uh, next Sunday, 4.30 kickoff. And I'm, I'm sure after that, thumping by Manchester City that Liverpool are certainly not going to let Arsenal do that to them. Uh, right, that's it for part one. In part two, we'll round up the rest of the action, including a seven-goal thriller and that five-goal dogfight down at the bottom of the table as well. Plus, we'll preview the next Champions League match day. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Three more WSL ties to get stuck into. We saw late, late drama at Broadfield Stadium as one of the standout players of the season, Elizabeth Turland, scored a 95th minute winner to see Brighton edge past Bristol City 3-2. It was another really good performance from the visitors, twice coming from behind to draw level, but the young Norwegian thumped the ball in off the bar for her second of the game to steal the three points for Melissa Phillips's side. That moves Brighton six points clear of the relegation place, while Bristol City are still just bottom on goal difference but we've got to bow down to Elizabeth Turland Robin she's having some campaign nine goals already just one behind Lauren James yeah only Lauren James and Bunny Shaw have more than her um so she's kind of got under the radar but she's been consistently really good in front of goal ever since she joined Brighton she just seems to always be in the right place and then also has got a lot of composure in front of goal I do still think though Bristol City they can do this they can they've shown enough um, they keep kind of being on the end of results, but only very slightly. I don't think they've been battered so far, like properly battered that we used to see. Oh, gosh, I got a flashback to that 11. Was it 11-1? <laughs> did that one, yeah, the Arsenal one, when they, you know, years ago, when they before they got relegated. So they really, they've shown something. And here it was set pieces, wasn't it? They It was two set pieces. I mean, from Brighton's point of view, that was pretty ugly. But yeah, no, I, I just feel like, they have time because they're, they're still in touch, aren't they? So, yeah, just been impressed with them, Bristol City. They're still fighting. Yeah, they are, Susie. It, it feels huge. And actually, 
you know, that result makes next week's visit of West Ham just absolutely massive. We're about to talk about West Ham's 4-3 defeat by Tottenham. But do you think, Susie, they've got it in them, Bristol City? We've said it before, particularly when Anita Asante, who's part of the coaching team, is, is on the pod. But, you know, it does seem as if in terms of the bottom sides, they've got something in them. Oh, I was like fully on the Bristol City bandwagon after we spoke to Lauren Smith at the Women's Super League Media Day ahead of the start of the season. I just loved the way she was talking about being in the top division and what it meant and how they would approach it and things and that, you know, they knew that nothing was expected from them and very realistic about what they wanted to do Um, and not a huge number of expectations on what they could do either like just very very down to earth and a recognition that they're working with a lot of young players that they take players on loan you know Carrie Jones a great example from Manchester United and that that is their role almost they're a development club and she was very honest about that and what that means and and you know how you work with that and you know what what that means results wise against you know some of these teams in the WSL and it's their first season back in there and that when she went into the job there wasn't even a, a starting 11 there wasn't even an 11 like she had about seven players to work with or something so like to see them go from that to championship and then getting into the Women's Super League and doing what they're doing this season is remarkable I think she's clearly a hugely hugely talented manager and as we know, Anita Asante is an extremely intelligent, tactical, thoughtful person and likely coach as well. So she's clearly put a staff around her that understand the assignment and get it. And I, yeah, I mean, I thought they were very good and I completely agree with Robin. Like a lot of the results are a lot closer than you maybe would have thought they would have been across the course of the season. I think you've got a really good chance of staying up. I mean, obviously West Ham are level on points with them, so they're the main concern at the moment. But Everton, Leicester, I've not been fully convinced by a number of the teams around them. And Brighton based on that performance. Well, exactly so... that. Yeah, exactly that. And like the thing is, is Bristol of that pack are the ones that I've been most convinced with and the ones that like I feel probably have the most confidence running through their veins because they're they're exceeding expectations, whereas everyone else is underachieving and that has an impact as well particularly as you get towards the business end yeah well let's talk about West Ham shall we because it was absolute chaos in East London a seven goal thriller in treacherous conditions Grace Clinton shone for the visitors bagging two goals and assisting Celine Bizet for another before Jessica Naz ultimately got the winner in the 75th minute for Spurs this was just kind of peak Barclays WSL madness in some ways Moyo it swung one way then the other but ultimately did Tottenham deserve those three points I think I'd say they they did but I think it was admirable that West Ham were able to get back in the game. I think at 3-1, it very much looked like the game was done. And then Amy Turner's not there. And then suddenly, you know, West Ham start getting back into it. And then Spurs start looking shaky. I think it was good to see that they were able to regroup after, you know, losing the lead. I think it showed a lot about where they've, how far they've come in terms of like maturity levels on the pitch. But yeah, overall, I think it was deserved. Obviously, the third goal was a bit um, <laughs> sceptical. Um, it was a dubious decision let's just say because she's clearly in an offside position before the ball is struck and it is in Mackenzie Arnold's line of um, vision however I don't actually think like somebody being there or not being there that ball was going into the net like she would have had a better chance at saving it yes 
But I think how the ball was hit, I think it was going in regardless. But yeah, she has a right to feel aggrieved. I bow to our commentator who's nodding. <laughs> oh, no, that should have been disallowed for sure. I mean, I know it, it is kind of irrelevant whether she would have got there or not. And I agree she probably wouldn't have done because it was right in the corner, wasn't it? But you couldn't get more in her right line. I mean, she next got to kind of move her out the way. So I think um, Rianne Skinner had, she was very much within her rights to complain about that. But I think, yeah, no, West Ham, I was worried about them, but actually they did, as Moyo correctly pointed out, really good spirit and an actual, I mean, before this game, they only scored eight goals <laughs> the whole of the season. Wow. So the fact that they managed to score three, Katrina Gorey hit the post late on, so they could have made it 4-4. Recruitment's been good. Huge fan of Gori, you know, properly well-formed, proper player. And then Mewis as well. I mean, I, I could have watched Mewis spot that ball. <laughs> but, yes, it was so funny, just like at the corner flag. The corner flag sort of horizontal because of the wind. And it just the ball kept moving. Honestly, it was that was just a joy. I know it was must have been so irritating, but I could have watched that for hours. <laughs> That's another meme, isn't it? Yeah. After the Lauren Hemp one. I feel like we're at peak evil Robin Cowan in this pod today. <laughs> oh, that was a proper welcome to England moment, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean... At one point she says to the um, lineswoman, she's like, can you hold this? Like, <laughs> Hold the flag, please. Honestly, it's like, are they ever going to be able to take this corner? It was, it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Uh, the result, though, means that Robert Villaham's side stays sixth, but victory moves them level on points with Liverpool and Manchester United. West Ham are 11th, only goal difference, as we mentioned, keeping them above the relegation place. Just the one game uh, left to talk about, Friday night's action. Aston Villa coming out on top in a 1-0 victory at Leicester, thanks to a 16th-minute goal from Rachel Daly. It means after their nightmare starts of the campaign. Carla Ward's side have now won four of their last six in the WSL, while the Foxes are winless in their past eight and have dropped all the way down to 10th in the table. Um, do Willie Kirk and his team, you mentioned this, Susie, a second ago, do they need to be looking over their shoulder? They've kind of got a five-point cushion to the relegation place, but they're in a really poor run of form. Yeah, and I, I, like, I think any team down there at the moment needs to start looking over their shoulder a little bit and kind of get a little bit of fire in their bellies. I mean, the next game is they play Everton. That's like a huge, huge fixture down there um, that they need to be doing well in because then they've got City after that. So they, they've sort of got to start getting some points off of these teams lower down the table than they are. Um, obviously, Villa, like it's hard to call Villa a team lower down the table after their their form last season but based on the form this season like you know you've got to think that they've got to be doing maybe a little bit more and putting them under a little bit more pressure um it was fairly even I thought you know I thought they were fairly well matched there were a lot of shots um like I think they had the same number of shots on target as well but I would never ever ever bet against Willie Kirk to get a team out of a, a tight corner so like I don't like I think it's under very little doubt that their run of sort of poor results will change. I was sort of saying it when we were chatting about Bristol City, like I think that the psychological piece becomes really, really important once you sort of hit this latter end of the season. You know, I said I think Bristol City have got it because of sort of almost exceeding expectations. I think Willie Kirk's got an ability to bring that out of players. And you just mentioned West Ham there. I think their new signings could be that psychological piece so there's reasons 
for optimism for most of them, including for Leicester, because Willie Kirk is so, so good with his back against the wall in situations like this. But, I mean, you look at the teams below and they're not doing too badly at the moment. You've got to start getting some points. If they if they beat Everton at the weekend, that changes everything, doesn't it? Momentum-wise, confidence-wise, you know, puts a little bit more of a cushion between you and the teams, what would be three teams below you at least. That would go a long way. I've got a real problem. You made a really good point there when you said that, but I gave you a soundtrack as you were talking because you said never, ever, ever, and all I had was Taylor Swift in my head. <laughs> the whole time you were talking, never, ever, ever, getting back together. Like, <laughs> we've got to try and make some kind of Willie Kirk song into that. I seriously have a problem. When you said song, I immediately thought All Saints for never, ever. So, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh God, let's go. Right, listen, go. You know I'm down for that. Uh, let's just round up events in the championship, shall we? Charlton sit a point clear at the summit. After a 3-2 win over Blackburn, they sit on 26 points themselves, with Sunderland just behind on 25 after their 3-0 win over Sheffield United. Convincing wins as well for Crystal Palace and Southampton, who both sit just behind on 24 points. We say this every time we talk the championship. We need to do a special on this because it's been a cracking season and the race for promotion is going right down to the wire. Down at the bottom, though, Lewis picked up what could be a precious point in the one-all draw against Durham that leaves them three points from safety Watford were on the end of a 3-0 defeat by Southampton and find themselves on six points at the foot of the table but crucially they have played a game more than Lewis and two more than Reading so it's not looking great for the Hornets their game against Birmingham was postponed this is Reading's by the way due to an outbreak of food poisoning in the camp following their FA Cup tie with Wolves last weekend whose Black Country derby with West Brom was also called off for the same reason hope everybody makes a speedy recovery what on earth is in the water at the moment Um, it's match day five in the Women's Champions League this week a huge game at Stamford Bridge as Chelsea look to book their place in the quarterfinals of the competition with a win over Ray Madrid. Uh, Let me just take you through the permutations. Uh, Chelsea need one more win from their final two games to guarantee qualification because one of Hacken and Paris FC would be unable to match their 11 points and those two sides face each other on Wednesday night. Emma Hayes' side might need two wins to secure top spot but could steal it if Hacken and Paris FC draw. So Hacken will progress if they beat Paris FC while the French side have to avoid defeat to remain in contention. Are you still with me? Um, God, why does it always feel so complicated when you get to this? Uh, Real Madrid can no longer qualify uh, for the knockout stages though but I'm sure they would love to put one over on Chelsea. How desperate though Robin will Emma Hayes be to get qualification done and dusted in this game? Yeah, I think that that'll be the priority and I wouldn't I mean obviously it does depend on other results to to get it done this round but um yeah she'll be she'll be really hopeful that they can do that given the you know obviously injury to Sam Kerr leaves them a little light but I can't see them not winning against Real Madrid. I just had a look there you know they're bottom of the group um really not been a good Champions League campaign for them and at Stamford Bridge especially if Lauren James is there Lauren James at Stamford Bridge should just add to her tally and make everyone else feel inadequate. <laughs> she always do. It's her manner. So, you know, I can't see anything other than a, the Chelsea win. Although they have been on the end of some slightly questionable refereeing decisions. That could be a, a drawback. But otherwise, yeah, I'd bat them to get the job done. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. Elsewhere on Wednesday, in Group C, Roma play Bayern Munich, PSG face Ajax. 
And uh, Group D, as I said, Hacken against Paris FC and Chelsea Real Madrid. Thursday sees Rosengard plate Benfica, Barcelona against Eintracht Frankfurt in Group A. And Group B is Slavia Prague versus Bran and St. Polten against Lyon. Uh, just a reminder, holders Barcelona already through to the last eight, along with Lyon as well. But it's so tight in Group C. All four teams still in contention to qualify for the next round. So that's definitely one to keep an eye on. Right, we mentioned this at the top of the pod. Chelsea manager Emma Hayes has become the first woman to win the Football Writers Tribute Award. Uh, she accepted it in a ceremony in London on Sunday night. Myself and Susie were there. By the way, <laughs> the opening line of her speech, which I kind of teased beforehand, for me is the best opening line of a speech I've ever heard. In true Emma Hayes style, and I won't swear in case there are children listening, bleep me, I hope my funeral's as good as this is what she said, to raucous applause and laughter. She made some more pertinent points when she was uh, when she was talking and, and, you know, said it's worrying she's the first woman to win it, despite being the 42nd recipient. But this is something that we've spoken before and the FWA have, have really made a lot of effort to make this a much more inclusive event and there are others as well. She said, when I was growing up and aspiring to play an FA Cup final at Wembley for Tottenham and being Glenn Hoddle, scores of young girls and boys are thinking now about how amazing Millie Bright is or Sam Kerr is and I think those are the moments I pinch myself about more than I do the actual achievements. Um, She's so right isn't she Susie but there is still so much more work to do but this generation is growing up with players in the women's game who are visible and are role models which is a huge step. Yeah, you know what I found a little bit funny, and no offence to any of any of these who have done it, but um, the various comments, like a real surprise that, oh god, I think that was the the best speech we've ever had at a FWA tribute night, you know, and like really sort of praising Emma Hayes's acceptance speech, and you know, sort of a lot of the more you know sort of senior journalists that work in the men's game, very impressed with the quality of the speech, and I just think every single woman in that room is going. I'm not surprised like at all no. by that because she is hugely articulate, hugely intelligent, oozes personality. And you have to have all of those things to succeed in women's football to a point where you're accepted by men ultimately in all different remits, be it in coaching, in broadcasting, in written words, like you you have to be brilliant, like you have to be exceptional. So like there's just zero surprise that when she gets up and delivers a speech, it's going to be exceptional. You know, there's a reason why when she goes to give talks and hosts talks at the biggest coaching conference in the world in the US that there's like cues to get into her sessions and they're also hosting the likes of Mourinho and stuff she is as important to be heard as any of the other big managers in the world and there's a reason for that and she's had to fight for that position and she's had to be exceptional to be able to do that so like that made me sort of laugh like oh like this sort of air of surprise there's no room for anyone to be crap (laughs) there's no room for a woman to be crap in women's football like I would love it if there was I would love to see a manager get up and be a not very good speaker (laughs) and deliver poorly and be a little bit scatty and all over the place because then it would show that we've we've made it right like that we've we've reached the level at which anyone can do it (laughs) we can be mediocre too (laughs) (laughs) oh i long i long for mediocrity i long for the success of mediocre women (laughs) 
That's what I want a lino of. I want a lino, Susie Rack, of we can be mediocre too. Yes. Yeah, I'll do oh that. Oh my That's goodness. Next. Do you know what? The, the best kind of speeches are the ones that make you laugh and cry. And, and she made me laugh and cry in this one. The tribute to her dad, Sid, who passed away last year was just absolutely incredible and she choked a few times actually and she was asked if she expects to have mixed emotions when she leaves Chelsea at the end of the season and said I don't think they're going to be mixed I'll be absolutely distraught I'm a bit of a sobber I think I'll cry my eyes out for the last few weeks I think we're going to be doing the same aren't we we're in for an emotional roller coaster over the next few months it feels like a very long goodbye when someone announces it like this and uh, yeah it gets mentioned pretty much every week in our in our pod um, right just finally to mark your cars the league cup Turns this week. Pick the bunch coming on Wednesday night when Manchester City host Manchester United. How much are you looking forward to that Manchester derby, Moyo, or or maybe not? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> honestly, like if I could eliminate and remove that one from the calendar, I would. So yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid you can't. I can't give you that power. <laughs> what what Conti Cup? What Conti Cup? <laughs> Can we just end? Because, Susie, you've seen this. The FA are advertising for a full-time role as personal assistant to Serena Vigman. And I will I do it. To, I, I will do it now. It's a career change right now. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I would apply for it, but I have been a PA in a former life and I was terrible. Really terrible. <laughs> the problem is, is I don't want to be Serena's mum. I want her to be my mum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, she ended up being our, not PA, yeah, but she would be sort of, yeah. A guiding light. If I scraped my knee, I'd like her to comfort me. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, blimey. Right, there's also a tasty tie in Group C as the bottom two in the Championship go head-to-head. Watford host Lewis. We're all downing tools and applying uh, to the FA's job reference. You do realise they're now going to get inundated because people won't have necessarily seen that. And the minute this pod goes out, everyone's like, quick! <laughs> oh, don't worry. I've already tweeted that it's the hands-to-the-king-type job coming up. <laughs> Brilliant brilliant Moyo really lovely to see you just close your eyes on Wednesday it'll all be over soon enough I will thank you very much for having me Robin always a pleasure loved it thanks Faye Susie see you soon yeah when when will I next see you I don't know it's oh Thursday I'll see you on Thursday we can't say why though can we but I'll see you then. Uh, we'll see all of you next week as well, where we'll be reflecting on that huge clash down at the bottom of the table as Bristol City hosts West Ham, as well as all of the other WSL action and news from around the globe. If you want to be part of the pod, you can drop us an email on womensfootballweekly at theguardian.com or tweet us, of course, as well. And a reminder to sign up for our free women's football newsletter. All you need to do is search Moving the Goalposts Sign Up, and it's now going twice weekly, which is brilliant news and just to give you a bit of a flavour what's in today's edition there's a first person piece from US women's national team defender Naomi Germer who set up a mental health movement for players following the death of her teammate and friend Katie Meyer Uh, I really can't recommend that highly enough The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver music composition was by Laura Iredale our executive producer is Sal Ahmad Women's Football Weekly is supported by Google Pixel, the only phone engineered by Google and official mobile phone of Arsenal Football Club, Liverpool Football Club and the England teams. Engineered by Google, the Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro are fast and secure with the most advanced Pixel cameras yet. 
And Google AI powers amazing features for photos and video, so you can get even closer to the game. Search Google Store to find out more. This is The Guardian. 